Hello and welcome to Normal Boring Free Birth for Normal Boring People, where we share free birth stories from people who had epic, amazing births, but they also felt quite normal and maybe a bit boring. Before we get into today's episode, I want to talk to you about the Free Birth Women's Circle. So if you don't know about this already, we've been talking about it in our Facebook community. This is the place that you can go if you feel like you want some connection from people who just understand why you're making the choices that you are and they just get it. The Circle is a virtual space where we meet twice a month. And we just connect with other like-minded women who are planning a free birth or they've had a free birth and they're in the postpartum. Me and Leonie wanted to create an online space where women could come together and just share stories, share wisdom and connect. I think listening to these amazing free birth stories is great, but actually being able to talk to each other, ask questions, put something out there that can be really valuable. If you want to join the circle, it's really easy. There'll be a link in the show notes of this episode or go to our Instagram page and look at the links there at Normal Boring Free Birth. In today's episode, we hear from Molly. Now working as an independent midwife here in the UK, at the time during her pregnancy, she was an NHS midwife. She shares about the experience of going through her pregnancy journey and choosing to opt in and out of various things, how that went down for people around her, and her birth, which ended up being a free birth, which wasn't always the plan. She also shares with us the experience of finding out that her daughter had a disability, which she found out after the birth. So much I have learned in this episode, and I'm so grateful to be learning from other women and their beautiful birth stories. So sit back and listen to Molly tell her story. Molly, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining us here. Um, we are really excited to hear your story. Do you want to briefly introduce yourself before we get into it? Yeah, so I'm Molly. I'm mother to an eight-month-old now, um, little girl. Um, so yeah, I'm on that whole new journey of motherhood. Yeah. And I'm also a midwife. Um, so I'm an independent midwife. Um, I have worked in the NHS setting, but moved into independent midwifery. So that's kind of my outline. Fantastic. Lovely. Well, where would you like to begin with your story? Just jump in wherever feels good for you. Um, maybe in pregnancy. I don't want to go on about pregnancy too much, though. So um, no, it's good. I, though, yeah, I know. Oh, yeah, same here. And I, but I feel our listeners they massively benefit from that whole kind of journey, especially yeah. you know to the whole like how did you end up where you ended up. So yeah, I, I love all the details personally. Yeah, so, yeah. Exactly. Don't worry about <laughs> kind of not just getting to the birth because we love all the build up. It's exciting. Yeah, and I think it's it's relevant. So. um I would also just like to say that obviously this is my story, not my um, like expectation of anyone else as a midwife, because I think you have to be a bit careful there that like, you know, I have a responsibility to tell people that this is my personal journey, yeah. not what I'd turn around and recommend to any old person like everyone has to make their own decisions which I know you guys know absolutely yeah. <laughs> speaking more for a wider absolutely yeah, yeah. I mean I feel mm -hmm. like it's going to be really interesting hearing your story especially because you are a midwife because I feel like it's going to be interesting you're going to have that kind of layer of yeah your professional mind I suppose and then obviously yeah. your personal experience but you know yeah we completely understand that that these are everyone's stories and we I think we learn a lot from it but like you say it's not a prescriptive one size fits all yeah by exactly. means. um so yeah in my pregnancy I did make some little notes because I was like if not I'm gonna get very 
lost yeah um, but in the first trimester was I, I mean I was really sick but straightforward otherwise um other than being really sick and then into the second trimester so I would have been recommended testing for gestational diabetes because of my BMI but after the research that I did I declined the screening um and didn't want it so that was sort of what was that um I had COVID in my pregnancy oh no that, yeah and then as I was getting better from from that um I had a really funny turn um when I was out I think I was out shopping and I felt I just suddenly felt awful like my legs couldn't carry me and I just felt um. yeah really not faint but more like shaky and and was not right so I went back to the car and had to sit down and we ended up going home and I was like oh, what could this be and obviously being a midwife I uh, checked my blood pressure uh, mm. thinking oh, that was completely fine and then I dipped my own urine and it was full of glucose mm. and I was mm. like oh okay that's that's interesting and I hadn't had I'd had food but I hadn't had like something you know like we say you had orange juice or sugary cereal or something really really sugary but I'd had like quite a normal meal Mm -hmm. um but with carbs in so I was like okay that's interesting so I ordered myself a glucose monitor (laughs) Mm, Um, yeah and I started testing my blood sugars and within a day I was like okay there's something going on here Mm. um so immediately like dived into a hole of research about what to do and I have seen uh various like I've seen people who have had diagnosis of gestational diabetes and it's almost as though I mean if you read the evidence there is like a false positive chance or a very borderline and they can tolerate all the foods and it doesn't spike their blood sugar so to me I'm like that's not really anything Mm. but then you also have people who it it really does and they do have like big babies and we're not talking like Mm-hmm. we're talking macrosomic like yeah. babies that are born and have issues and stuff so I knew like it was something that I did want to look into and I also really felt that my body had told me um mm-hmm. so that's why I declined the screening in the first place because I was like well if anything it's not that I thought that nothing would ever go wrong as such it was more that I really felt that if anything did come up I would know about it because my body would indicate it to me and then I could look into it so that's kind of exactly what happened do you feel like it's because you've had you know your experience as a midwife that you felt like you wanted to explore this on your own rather because I think a lot of people would then go oh midwife help me what's going on but it seemed like you really took it under your own steam and you wanted to you know you did the research um you ordered the glucose monitoring stuff yourself rather than you know going to the port of call as a midwife I'm curious about that bit yeah, it was really important to me to have a sense of autonomy and where I didn't feel like I needed the intervention yet, I didn't seek it. And it wasn't that I was never going to, like, if I if I felt I needed to, but it was just, I, it didn't even almost cross my mind. It wasn't like this big, like, oh, I'm going to do this all. Mm-hmm. Like, it was more just like natural, like, oh, if it's my blood sugars, well, I need to know what they actually are because like four plus of glucose in urine doesn't actually tell you anything other than the sugar there so it just was very natural but then I do think the other thing I think if I had because I would have really liked an independent midwife but at the time they weren't um able to provide birth care Mm -hmm. and um it's still a big investment and I didn't how I couldn't justify it without the birth care Mm -hmm. um so I think if I had had a midwife that I'd really trusted and that continuity and I knew that 
they would listen to me and what my plan was and wouldn't immediately like take it higher up or anything then I think I would have gone straight to them as, mm-hmm. as like a discussion point but I think it was because I just immediately had this like well if I take it there then then I'm going to be like immediately hounded for scans mm-hmm. and the official test and bloods and I was like I'm not ready to take all of that on mm-hmm. so I'll just see what what happens over the next like 48 hours or so and do you think that has primarily come from your experience as working as a midwife or from your experience as being pregnant or both I think both I think it comes from my yeah from my experience as a midwife um and yeah and my like how I weight like women's autonomy and responsibility and me being a woman who's pregnant so not necessarily because I'd seen anything I mean obviously I I have seen things that I disagree with and like anyone anywhere but it wasn't necessarily that I'd seen like one really thing bad thing and I didn't want to go down that path or anything it was more just that I was like I'm not ready to step into that like this is now a high-risk pregnancy because they've said especially because of what I knew about gestational diabetes about I mean gestational diabetes is high blood sugars in pregnancy so if you don't have which and then high blood sugars in pregnancy carry risks Mm -hmm. but if you don't have high blood sugars in pregnancy then you don't have gestational diabetes Mm. Whereas it, you would always have it once you've got the diagnosis, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah, definitely. We hear um, a lot, like, I, I speak to a lot of women who they kind of get that diagnosis, they get that label, and then they may perfectly well manage it with diet alone, but they're still being referred to as having exactly. gestational diabetes and then as having a problem in their mind. And you're like, well, no, if you're managing your diet, it's you're not ha- exactly, you're not spiking with your blood sugars. And therefore, there's not that kind of follow on or continuation, like you say, of potential risks. But it's it's the label isn't it it's it's being yeah. given that stamp being given that label and then it kind of changes the path you're on so yeah, yeah. and there's definitely evidence um that I can't like quote off the top of my head where it's from but it's the, it's the label of gestational diabetes is like I can't quite remember how it's laid out but it's essentially like a lot of the risks are, t- are wrapped up in that label yeah rather than mm. with the blood sugars themselves like there are risks with the blood sugars but it's all very like murky (laughs) I guess it's similar to BMI isn't it you know the the prejudices that come with that is often affect how the care is delivered exactly yeah so so yeah so I I got my blood sugar monitor I did my blood sugars and yeah they were high um so then I yeah did my research I listened to the midwives coldens podcast yeah amazing yeah and they obviously um like Dr Rachel Reed's website she has it in like all about gestational diabetes in written form with like yeah. referenced evidence and stuff um so I read all of that um and listened to it and then I read um I'd already read Lily Nichols um I think that's how you say her name real food for pregnancy amazing book yeah yeah which I'd recommend like anyone thinking about getting pregnant is so good absolutely <laughs> I love it yeah it's up there on one of my top I don't know what I'd put it in five three books yeah. to read because yeah I think nutrition yeah in pregnancy is huge really good book yeah and it just gets like skimmed over doesn't it yeah. so um yeah and then so I read her real food for gestational diabetes mm. um mm. and then just basically immediately flipped my diet and lo and behold, my blood sugars were normal. Yay! <laughs> Magic. How yeah. astonishing. Yeah. Oh, I, occasionally, I occasionally had some some higher ones um, 
if I so at first I went really really low carb um because obviously I was scared of these like high blood sugars I really didn't want them mm-hmm. and I did that for a few weeks and then I slowly started to introduce some really like whole complex carbs um like sweet potato and it was really weird like some things I could tolerate and others I couldn't like mm. I couldn't have whole grain rice but I could have whole grain couscous oh, it's fine yeah. it was really like random um and then sometimes like if I'd eat a certain thing in the evening even if it didn't give me a high blood sugar that evening I might wake up with a higher fasting blood sugar mm-hmm. um mm. yeah so it was all that and then later on in my pregnancy I got the um Libra you know the continuous glucose monitors that you can because you can just buy those um so I got I got those for the last I think four weeks or maybe six weeks um were you getting any kind of like friction from your colleagues or people around you were they aware of the kind of decisions that you were making um um, yeah so not not in detail um no none of my colleagues or anything it was I didn't tell them what I was or wasn't having mm-hmm. um if they were close to me then I'd like tell them that I thought I had that I had gestational diabetes or that um in fact what I used to say was um I'm um because I went out for lunch with a couple of um colleagues and I can't remember how I said it but I think I said something like I'm being conscious of my blood sugars sure yeah something like that because that's what I felt like I was doing like rather than sticking this label on me mm-hmm. so then I wasn't having like the scone that I would have really liked yeah. <laughs> instead and stuff um and yeah I didn't really get any any stick about any of that I did get um many comments about my birth plan which wasn't a uh, a free a free birth like I hadn't said mm. oh, I'm going for a free birth it was just a home birth yeah. uh, and again I never really went into any details but there's this thing among midwives where it's like oh well if you're a midwife midwives always have the worst births yeah. like there's no way you home birth yeah it's a really big like oh yeah mm-hmm. like um story. why why do you think that is well, I don't is know I guess yeah I don't know I think a lot of midwives maybe go for um or try to go for like I know there's a lot of midwives who do similar to me and and really go for it have a home birth really low intervention and they're like nope not having it and then I think there's a lot who obviously they know all of the benefits of having a physiological birth um and so they try to go for it but because of all the traumatic things that they have seen Mm -hmm. which you know whether or not they're a fault of the system they are in that system Mm -hmm. they still have this like this ding of like what if what if yeah that they can't turn off and then obviously if they then are in the hospital yeah and they're subject to the same cascade as everyone now yeah it must be so so difficult because how can you separate that experience that you've had and you've even been in those rooms and possibly even the same room depending on where you're going to birth and you've got that kind of programming and that memory it must be really difficult to kind of maybe step aside from that and go you know, well, I'm I'm different. I'm not that experienced. But then you've had such a close and intimate look into that kind of experience. So yeah, I imagine it's a bit of a mental maze for a, a midwife yeah, kind of exactly. giving birth. Yeah, and obviously in pregnancy, you're in such a. Um, I mean, it's hard. I would describe it as a vulnerable place, but I also think you're very strong in pregnancy, so it's, you can have both sort of thing. Yeah, but. Um, I think in pregnancy is a really hard time because you're trying to follow all your instinct but this is how I felt at the end anyway I was so sure in everything I wanted but I also really really wanted my baby and I really really wanted them healthy which um I know everyone wants I wanted them alive um 
yeah it sounds silly to say that but that is the other side of it isn't it that is Mm -hmm. all of these risks eventually amount to your baby dying that Mm -hmm. is what the the thing is this like if you don't do this so I really had to like sit with that feeling Mm -hmm. and I think that's but it's a really hard place to be and I think that's yeah made harder for midwives because they have so much lived experience of other women yeah that that impacts it and I guess working in those environments when you're pregnant because you know we we hear a lot of pregnant women just really want to dive deep into the positive experiences it's not this toxic positivity like only talk about the positive things but you know really surrounding yourself and um like feeding that dream of which direction you want to be going in so if you're kind of in that mindset of like right what do I want what do I want to bring and then you're going to environments working there where it's really difficult like what a head fuck yeah yeah exactly so I think and then that obviously does impact the birth so I think like where people say like oh midwives have always have rubbish births like I don't think they're inherent they're wrong necessarily obviously that's not a very nice message to spread but I also think like a lot of midwives don't have the births that they they want because of all of that I was um really lucky because I was based mostly in community um in my pregnancy and had a few shifts on labor ward mm-hmm. and I did feel like the um you have a labor ward coordinator who's like managing the labor ward and there was quite a few pregnant midwives as well and they were like as much as possible really um obviously they can't control things because they can't control they can't put you in a room and say like nothing bad will happen in that room but they were very conscious of it they would always mm. try and put like the midwives who were pregnant in in the scenarios that were more likely to be more okay. pleasant and stuff so yeah yeah so that was really nice and then also um because of um the pandemic and um shielding and stuff I went off like non-patient facing from like 24 26 weeks or something so I got that whole third trimester away from it so I was still working but I was doing like phone calls and administrative work which was brilliant because you have this like distance from it which yeah yeah, it really helped as well so the rest of my pregnancy was pretty straightforward I never felt so good in my life like I did not have the the like third trimester slog I felt so good um like physically I think because I was eating such good food (laughs) it really happened how good nutrition is um so also my due date was incorrect from the NHS because I thought I was being really smart um so when I was early pregnant I I wanted um my two scans um and when I was early pregnant I thought well if I don't have my 12 week scan then they won't know my due date and then I can't have the pressure for induction and stuff yeah it doesn't work like that just to let everyone know mm-hmm. um didn't for me anyway so I had my 12-week scan because I didn't want the screening as well um and trisomy screening so that didn't factor in for me so I had my my like 12-week dating scan done privately um mm-hmm. had my date from that and I also had my ovulation date that I was I was pretty sure of mm-hmm. um and then I had so that was all that and my midwife was fine with it there was a bit of there was a time where they were like oh this woman's unbooked and raising all this and it was like I wasn't unbooked I just haven't had a scan with them yeah yeah you know how it goes so then at 20 weeks yeah I had all that again like you've not had a scan yet what are we gonna do and I was like no I have there's only one baby and I didn't want the screening anyway so then I had the 20 week scan that was all um as it should be and then um 
that was that but obviously my due date was different because they they still calculated me a due date off of the 20 week scan even though that's inaccurate uh, yeah so they wouldn't use my due date they needed to use their due date so that actually worked in my favor because it gave me like an extra week oh okay ah. like where I thought I was due the 15th they'd put dated me the 21st okay so it worked in my favor when it came to the end of pregnancy hmm. but equally I still knew so when I was 42 weeks pregnant (laughs) it was good because I wasn't getting pressure from from anyone but Mm. obviously I still still knew like that and they they knew as well like I told them that this is my due date for my 12 week scan but because they wouldn't take it it didn't so frustrating so frustrating isn't it like why why can't they just listen to you why can't they take a date from you especially you know you're basing it on your ovulation or whatever but I mean in a way who cares you know I still I hate the oh, insistence of working to a date because it all you know I understand the the kind of why they don't why they want that because the whole structure is at, at certain weeks we'll do this yeah, and at the next yeah. yeah so exactly. it's like you were kind of taking away like the the kind of core foundation of the whole structure that it's built on for them so I, I guess you know then people just go oh my god but what do we do but I mean what about being more individualized and just looking at you from week to week whenever they see you and seeing you know how you're feeling what's going on for you irrespective of whatever date they feel you are or however many weeks they think you are like why does that matter so much yeah because it all matches up anyway um yeah because like even if it's we're talking like a measurement of your bump like even if you're like higher on the scale because your date's off what we're actually looking for is the curve yeah so it's, it doesn't it doesn't really obviously like there's some indication that if you're like way up here that mm. there might be a large baby there yeah. um yeah. but it's not really about that it's more that they're looking for this instead yeah. of a sudden drop off so it wouldn't, exactly. it wouldn't really matter the dates anyway yeah, but exactly yeah, and it, it just creates this open. it's just this snag isn't it and then this friction and this kind of unnecessary conversation you just don't really need to yeah. have but, so they felt like they'd given you a date and then were they happier then at that point they were like, um so I assumed that they were yeah. uh, especially because I had then said to them well the date's actually this and they hadn't gone with my sooner date because I think they I thought maybe they would do that because of mm. going to 42 weeks and all of that. Yeah. Um, and then I, one of the things I was really anxious about was I knew I didn't want an induction. Mm-hmm. Um, there was like some circumstances where I maybe would have considered it maybe with if I had got preeclampsia or something like that. But I knew I didn't want a post-date induction. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also felt that for me, um, and I think this would be different maybe if I had other pregnancies, but as part of the managing my anxiety for me, I needed an end date. Mm-hmm. Um, I needed a, a th- something to aim for for this to be over I also think because my anxiety was heightened I needed to know when that was going to finish almost as well mm-hmm. so I my like plan in my head was um, I'd go to 43 weeks because that felt okay for me and then I'd book a cesarean <laughs> okay. uh, and I was I didn't know that I was necessarily going to get there and I also like said to myself and to my partner like maybe I'll get nearly there and I'll push it in the week because mm-hmm. obviously I'd seen stories of women going further than that and I do believe that everyone eventually goes into labour mm-hmm. but I just needed this like plan almost in my head because then I felt like I could put it in a box yeah. and relax yeah. Yeah. <laughs> for the rest of my pregnancy so when I was about 40 weeks, because I wanted to jump on it before the pressure started, um, like from like externally, um, I asked if I could go see a consultant to get this plan in place. Mm. Um, 
so my midwife arranged it. My midwife was really um, supportive, actually. Um, and yeah, she arranged all of that for me. So I went to this appointment. I walked in. And he was like, so because we're not sure of your due date, um, because you didn't weren't dated until the 20 week scan, we want to um, induce you. What now? Yeah, basically, like on your due date, like now, any time now, because oh, I was now forty weeks. Now. But you got, a, but you got a date from the dating, the yeah. private dating scan, didn't you? Yeah. That's another thing that I was going to say earlier. Really pisses me off how they don't accept private dating scans. Mm-hmm. I mean, I get that you know it could be a bit like back alley in some places, yeah. but it's this idea that only the NHS can have the yeah. authority over yeah. anything. Mm-hmm. You've got a date. <laughs> yeah exactly really bizarre um so yeah he went to he he sort of said that and I I was yeah maybe a bit abrupt and I was like let me stop you there (laughs) good I was like that's not what this appointment is about like this appointment is because I'm not going to accept induction so like like if I wouldn't accept it at 43 weeks I'm certainly not going to accept it now yeah (laughs) I was like the appointment is because if if I go to that gestation my choice would be to have a cesarean um amazing yeah yeah, that's not that's not easy you know when you're in a room with someone and they're they're basically telling you that that's what they want to do you know and and then you're you know you're very pregnant (laughs) you know you're getting towards the end of your journey there's a lot of hormones and emotions going on and for someone to just sit there and go right okay yeah well I think we should do this that's really intimidating you know that can be really pressuring there was just no yeah no real tangible evidence behind it either Mm. very bizarre um so then yeah um he was quite well I I don't think he had that much of a choice he was quite receptive (laughs) to that sort of Mm. he did sort of explore and he was like oh what why wouldn't you have an induction sort of thing (sighs) I just said it's just not for me like it's not my choice like I didn't want to go into the detail with him because you don't need to the decision was already made yeah obviously there is a definite time and a place for that and I would like say generally like most people do deserve a safe space to talk it through and to talk Mm. through all the evidence of the health professional um if they want it but I I have the evidence as well um did he know you're a midwife yeah so I think that's partly why he didn't me so much Mm. (laughs) um because I I, and I also quoted the evidence back to him because I was Mm. like I I literally said um because I'd read Sarah Wickham's um in your own time amazing um so I had had some great books (laughs) yeah so I had like the statistics so I and it's it's horrible isn't it but again the 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 risk we're playing is is a baby dying isn't it like that Mm -hmm. is what they're talking about this whole time so I basically just got like the most um average statistic sort of thing yeah. and I, think I might have used the high risk one for them by the fact that my BMI was raised or, mm. or something I can't I can't remember exactly what I did but I basically gave them the understanding that I have the understanding which yeah. is what I needed really yeah. um and then off I went with a cesarean booked um and then actually as it eked closer I was ready to move it Oh, okay. Yeah. So. Um, but it was it, it was by having that done and that interaction that was quite mm-hmm. stressful done that I could really like just relax into those last couple of weeks. Yeah, I suppose I can really see how it kind of it sort of put it drew a line, didn't it? It kind of said, right, as far as our interaction goes, this is what I'm doing. This is what I'm happy with. This is what's happening the end you know I'll contact you if anything changes and I guess you know even just having that like you say you're really open to potentially moving it anyway but just by having that there you're kind of you're really 
kind of snuffing out any of the annoying conversations or the kind of limbo yeah. gray area you could kind of exist in with them and you're just going no nope, it's super clear this is what I've decided end of story and yeah. you know like you say that really takes yeah. it off your shoulders doesn't it yeah I think in in that in my, my pregnancy for me it was that was re- what was really important and as a midwife as well like I understood these steps and I think whether um it's right or wrong like i I wanted to almost like show up for the steps mm-hmm. <laughs> which I don't think you have to do like I think wild pregnancy is completely okay it's within anyone's choice mm-hmm. but for me it was more like I wanted to like almost like show up and decline <laughs> and like mm-hmm. have my evidence and have that like questioning because I think like as a midwife as well obviously it's about like yeah, I've got my personal journey but then I've also got like my like being a midwife and that safety and that whole like aspect coming in and to me that's what felt like the most comfortable I wanted to say like sensible but comfortable for me so Mm. yeah so then um comes to going into labor I should mention as well I was planning a home birth this whole time um I had the pool and everything and the home birth team was suspended my whole pregnancy and I was just like well (laughs) and I just kind of ignored it Mm. Um, I did I was birthing in a different trust to where I work so I live on the border um and I work in a different trust to my area Mm -hmm. um and then I chose to go with um a different trust as well because I just felt more more comfortable for me that there wouldn't be a known person mm. um yeah swings and roundabouts though isn't there there's also benefits to giving birth yeah. while you work if you are in the hospital because I was planning a home birth it wasn't relevant yeah. for me but when um, my local team still didn't have their home birth team I did um approach my trust and see whether they would facilitate my home birth because they were like my working trust mm-hmm. they were still doing home birth but they couldn't facilitate it because it was over the border Mm, okay Um, and obviously there was no um independent midwives who could attend either so I kind of just ignored Mm. all of that yeah (laughs) Um, I I did a a little bit of prep around free birth um Mm. but I wasn't necessarily going into it as though like oh I'm gonna definitely have a free birth then it was just very like well I'll see what happens I was like I'll go into labor and at some point I'll either call for support or I won't like we'll kind of go with that like my body will tell me I also my midwife like my NHS midwife had said to me that um when I did call they would try um even though there was no team like Mm -hmm. if there was someone available she was like if I'm on I'll try and get cover and stuff and be able to come so I knew there was like this like little bit of hope that that could happen um yeah so then so I had like a pool and everything all ready to go and I was just I was basically just ignored the fact that they had, that they had no team and just like powered on <laughs> just closed it off and then yeah I got to 42 weeks um and was starting because that was the other thing with the gestational diabetes I couldn't find any stories of anyone who had got that far pregnant mm-hmm. um I'd read lots of stories of people who hadn't been induced which was positive but they'd still sort of naturally gone into labor that bit earlier yeah um so even though I was reading all of these stories of people who were 42 43 weeks pregnant none of them had any other anything else going on so that was a little bit um nerve-wracking even though all my blood sugars were normal it's just it's nice to see someone have taken those that path before you oh definitely yeah um 
but yeah, on I went on the day I was 42 weeks pregnant, I went for a walk with my friend who was also one of my birth partners. Um, so I had my partner as my birth partner. I had my friend and then a birth keeper. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, yeah. So um, I went for a walk with my friend around the park um, and felt completely normal. We've been doing that most days together. And as I got back into my car again, I said, like, oh, see you tonight, like I always did for like the last four weeks. And I'm like, I'll call you later when I'm in labour. <laughs> um, but that night I actually did, so that was nice. Um, so, yeah, I went home and I think it just started up as a really, like I would describe it as the period pains that people say, like just mm. this sort of ache mm. that would come and then go, and that was it. I think it started maybe at like 4pm, but every sort of hour sometimes I would or wouldn't notice them I kept it to myself for a little bit and then like told my partner and he was so we were just so excited uh, he'd waited um yeah so that just kind of carried on I think about 10 p.m I went for a bath and it was still like completely manageable I think I was kind of just enjoying it like mm. I labor mm. and I take some pictures of me Jim to my partner yeah. <laughs> oh, like yeah like oh this is it this is oh, how lovely is this sort of thing and then I text when I was sure because they they were sort of coming and I was um I never planned to really track them but I think I was so excited that I was like oh it's happening again and like sort of monitoring them and they were coming pretty regularly and they were definitely there but completely like manageable that's when I text both of um my other birth partners and said like well um, I think this is it sort of thing but I'll keep you posted um just before they went to bed and then we tried to go to bed um got some things prepared and then went to bed and then it was only two hours later maybe it was about midnight that um I was up again and I was like oh this is different (laughs) (laughs) this is quite and I think um like I don't want to scare any first-time mums and now when I look back on my birth experience it's all like with like love heart eyes (laughs) and it was just amazing but I do remember that it was painful (laughs) and a lot of people don't describe it as painful but for me it it was painful and surprisingly painful and I I don't I think one of you has recently done a post about it being okay if it's a lot harder than you expected it to be yeah um, I I think you think I think it was something I wrote about recently of just like yeah things I wished I knew as a first-time mum because I experienced exactly the same thing really that you're describing of like I was really confident I was really kind of happy about it and then I was hit with like whoa okay this is not bloody hell (laughs) yeah Yeah, this isn't really what I expected I thought it would be more chill than this Um, and it's tough because then you you know I think for me anyway I spiraled into very much like oh no I'm doing it wrong but like you say I don't think we hear enough stories of like yeah you know you can experience it in different ways but sometimes it can be really bloody painful yeah yeah. so I'd say sort of yeah it was probably about 1am because yeah I wrote some notes actually because I wanted to have a bit of a um, yeah so at night 9pm 10pm I was completely fine and then at 10 past one um I text my friend saying it's definitely labour um because it's 
I think I've texted um, my friend Hannah and I put, um, it's either labour or I'm dying. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> yeah. um, and then I put a post that reads quite calm on the Home Birth Support Group UK. It reads calm, but mm. I was not that calm. And I put something like, hi, mm. um, I think I'm in labour, but this is a lot more powerful and painful than I expected. Mm. And I'm really scared <laughs> sort of thing. Um, and mm. sh- should I put my TENS machine on? Mm-hmm. Um, and this was the only time that I'd say I had fear in my label was this sort of still mm-hmm. I guess early labor but I'd say it was when I was going from that like what we describe as like the latent into the active mm-hmm. phase sort of thing it was that yeah. first little transition um and yeah that was when I was scared because I was like if I've got this for another 24 48 hours I'm gonna die yeah. <laughs> sort of yeah um but I had such like positive feedback on that post um of people saying yeah get the tens machine on you can do this it like things like it doesn't get any worse than this Mm -hmm. now you're here which I I really resonate with as well like it didn't get it just was the same then from when it got hard it was just the same until it came to pushing Mm. so even though it was hard it was like well if I can handle it I can handle it Ah, and that definitely was there was a brief period um just before my waters um broke that it was a bit more intense but for the most part it stayed like that then then I did put the tens machine on and I think I went back to bed Mm -hmm. I spent most of my labor I didn't sleep again um but just writhing around (laughs) uh, Mm -hmm. (laughs) um but I my like my like game plan if you like was I loved um I've always loved counting things so you know when like the hip like so I've done I'm trained to be a kgh like hypnobirth teacher Mm. and obviously I've been in that hypnobirthing world um and the counting part they're like in for four out for more or whichever Mm -hmm. particular one you subscribe to because it depends on the course doesn't it Mm -hmm. that really resonated with me and um I thought it was really good like up I didn't really go as prescriptive as up and down breathing because mm-hmm. I kind of forgot but that sort of breathing and then out for longer to regulate and yeah. so you only have to do so many before you're then through the contraction yeah but that was like my plan and I, yeah I love counting things like I'll count myself to sleep I'll count things down like I'm a bit that what like my brain works like that um and then my plan in between contractions was just to relax to the point of mm-hmm. like yeah where I was like dead (laughs) just like I want to be so relaxed that I don't feel like I exist (laughs) and that's basically how I got through my labor like when the contractions came I breathed through them like really like tried just to get through it and then in between just relaxed and prepared as much as I could for the next one and that's basically how I got through it then so I spent a lot of that time lying down um in like on my side in bed mm-hmm. um which is also funny because it's all the advice to know about an active labor um and I didn't have an active labor at all yeah. and it went absolutely fine so yeah, that's just no... wonder about yeah. the evidence we have on active labor and whether that's more applicable to a um a labor where we're intervening mm-hmm. I do think it has benefits but is it more relevant where we are poking and prodding mm-hmm. as opposed to a completely physiological burst. I'd be really interested to see if there's any evidence around that. And it's that freedom, isn't it? You can just do what yeah. you need to do yeah. where your body needs to go. And that is so powerful. Yeah, um, exactly. And then, um, so three, I've put like 3am, I started to struggle and I had my affirmations play again. 
so that helped and then um I texted my friends well I told them I told um so the birth keeper but she's also a friend and then my other friend um so my friend um Hannah not the, not the birth keeper arrived um at about 6am I think I texted her at like she texted me at 20 past five and I never replied so I can only assume that my partner dealt with that mm, okay. <laughs> and, yeah, yeah, yeah. and I had definitely said that like I wanted them um to come and then the birth keeper was um aiming to come sort of after 8am we'd had that discussion um and it didn't like that was fine I wasn't about to have the baby I didn't feel like so that was that was fine mm-hmm. um so yeah my friend Hannah arrived at about um six and at that point that's when my labor really ramped up I came downstairs out of the bedroom I think um James had done the birth pool I think um but I hadn't got in it yet and I have some very funny photos of me like writhing around on the sofa <laughs> pulling these like and the cat's like what is going on mum (laughs) really funny of like me and my partner like holding hands and then the cat just like what is (laughs) oh god please send us that picture if you can yeah yeah (laughs) I'd love to see that yeah there's ones of me just like leaning over and I just look so done and I was I was wearing I had like all these plans for how I'd want to look for my birth pictures but I had like my hair up and my little like hair loss horns here <laughs> that started in pregnancy and then I had I was in like a vest um with my tens machine on no pants but like fluffy bed socks amazing <laughs> and sat down and I love socks yeah amazing and I sat down and like Winnie the Pooh like with my big tummy out because my vest oh. over it yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, yeah, I remember there being a really intense stage because I remember when um Hannah arrived I, I didn't like look at her and mm. I couldn't I would I wanted to be like hey but I couldn't communicate with her even in between contractions I just needed to I was just shouting for words I was like water or like blanket (laughs) very like blunt um and then um, my birth keeper arrived and things sort of um went off a little bit I think that's probably because I was being observed so much at that point um which was a good thing because I think I needed that little bit of less intensity and I could sort of Mm. say what had been going on and stuff and then I never planned to tell any family that I was in labour but I had the urge to tell my mum so I called my mum um this was yeah like 8 30 maybe just before she started work she works in a school um so I called her and said oh I'm I'm in labour um like it still could be a while yet because I'm still very like with it um I don't feel like I've gone to that place of pushing a baby out yet um and yeah I just sort of told her and then my birth keeper said to me um you know now we're all here and you're sort of settled maybe it's maybe you need to go away sort of thing yeah. and so we're not all watching you and you need yeah. to rest because this there could be a lot more we don't know but obviously it could be another day um sort of thing so I was like okay <laughs> that I think that's right because I was in an hour in between that and getting in the birth pool but I didn't quite feel pool so I went back upstairs and um tried to rest um and it's I feel like I was very like in a different place at that point so I remember that Jim my partner was rubbing my legs and like my calves really hard because I wanted that for some reason but it feels a little bit like I was like on drugs <laughs> like in a, <laughs> a, like in some kind of like weird dream <laughs> yeah. um, 
but I managed to rest and to me I think that felt like about 20 minutes and I just couldn't stand it because the pressure was just getting so so much but um it, I was there about two hours um yeah and I think we also both had a little nap so I was like dozing but then obviously every contraction would wake me up at this point because they were really intense I did doze in between so I think that's why it felt so bizarre because I was getting like three minutes of sleep every like really weird and I think um my partner had a little nap as well like on the end of the bed Um, that was really nice because we were just up there on our own and it was like dark up there because this was obviously the morning so it was all bright downstairs we couldn't Mm. make it dark um but I did keep calling for every for, for everyone and be like hey <laughs> like I, I definitely wanted to keep touching base mm-hmm. um which yeah, yeah I think because a lot of stories people just want to go and hide away on their own but that wasn't my experience mm-hmm. and then yeah I think a couple of hours after the the pressure was just so intense it felt like my pelvis was gonna just like snap forwards mm-hmm. it was it was so intense um and I think when I went to the toilet, I had a huge like show, like mucus and blood and stuff. Um, and I had a little examination of myself and I was like, oh, it's definitely open. Obviously, I'm not looking for like, um, oh, I think I was actually looking for numbers <laughs> because my midwife brain was on. Yeah. But only because of how I relate it, I wasn't necessarily doing it out of like tracking for progress. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Just like I couldn't switch that off. Like, mm-hmm. but, yeah, so I think I was like, oh, I think I'm like a three or four, like things are really open and flat. This is exciting. And it really like, spurred me on um, and came down, like reported it to everyone who didn't <laughs> didn't have a clue what it meant. <laughs> or what it, um, and then, yes, yeah, so I came um, downstairs and I was like, no, I think I need the pool now because this is the pool will help. Um, everyone says the pool's great pain relief. I'd had the TENS machine on this whole time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I took the tens off and got into the pool and had my first contraction. And I was like, shit. <laughs> <laughs> the pool did not help. Oh <laughs> like, no. No, really. Yeah, wasn't, the a bit, wasn't a relief. Oh no. No, the tens machine was better relief. Oh, um, so that I was like, dang it. Yeah. <laughs> what did make a difference was it was much easier to relax in the pool. Mm. So th- I found the contractions more intense in the pool. Oh, they didn't okay. have something to like counter it like yeah. like how tens works mm. obviously but I found that the in-between parts were like I could really relax mm. so it did help mm. in that way yeah um so yeah I was in there for a while and again we have some great pictures of me just because in between I was still doing that like relaxed thing mm. so I'm just like literally like asleep on the side of the pool yeah. and then I wake up breathe and grunt a little bit and then go back to yeah <laughs> um <laughs> We have a video actually from the sort of hour before she was born, um, which is really nice to see see how that was because obviously oh. I don't remember it from yeah. the outside. Um, and then I think sometime after it was it was really really hard um, for a little bit, um, and I can't I can't remember what thing happened first, but I also remember talking to friends afterwards about transition and whether I experienced anything like that. And I think I had something really internal um, mm. because in my head I was like, I cannot do this. Like this is far too much. Like this is too painful. And every contraction I had, I was like, at the next one, if the next one hurts this much, then I'll transfer it and get an epidural. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and then the next contraction would come and I'd be like okay but if the next one hurts this much you know, yeah. and it's like but it was all internal yeah. and not none of my birth partners knew any of this was happening they were like mm. 
you so well you're so calm mm. like not that you have to be calm but I was very like inward but inside yeah. I was like ah. mm. <laughs> um, but I think that's really interesting because we have like this sort of idea of transition being very like outward yeah this and that I think I've seen that as well but yeah mine was all inside um mm. thinking yeah. that I could do it I love transition stories like I find them fascinating what comes up for every individual I think is just so personal yeah yeah I kind of hear 50 50 of like it being a real um sometimes people vocalize it but so often it's that like mental whirring and just getting everything straight in your mind so that you can go on to the next bit whatever you need to kind of settle Mm. just getting it all sorted and then you can move forward yeah I find it fascinating Mm. Yeah, yeah. I think there was like a few different transition periods for me. And I think, yeah, that was Mm. a big one. And basically what I now think, and as a midwife, like the terminology just comes back. I think my waters were bulging. Like I think they were there, like ready to go. And that pressure, that was what that pressure was. um, Because I felt this like pushing urge. But I knew, like I I knew it wasn't, I didn't know it was a her at the time, but I knew it wasn't a baby. Mm and then yeah it was the water my water's just like the pre- oh, it was so much pressure <laughs> um, so I, I gave that some like pushes but different to the kind of obviously I didn't know this at the time but now I can see that they were different pushes to when mm. I was going out um and then my waters broke and there was so much relief <laughs> like yeah. obviously the contractions were still intense but that like pressure that like splitting pelvis pain was gone yeah Yes, yeah. I can relate to that. My third, um, he was born partially on call. His head was still in the sack. Um, and, but the pressure, I can, I'm feeling you go, yes, it was so, like, it was yeah. painful and intense. Yeah. And just like that mass moving through the birth canal, which I didn't have the first two times. But yeah, it's, it's, an, it's an enormous amount of stuff, isn't it? You know? Yeah. So that was the yeah. hardest um part for me that was when I was really Mm. like oh my goodness like this is and I felt really like helpless about it as well which I'll get Mm. on to when it came to push it I felt really powerful um but at this part where it was the waters that were creating this pressure I I didn't feel powerful I felt like this was engulfing me Mm. um and yeah so it was such a good relief after that and I also because I kept like checking where I was at which I I don't think I'd do if I had a baby again I think part of it was driven by the anxiety um Mm -hmm. that was really like buried because I didn't feel like at the moment but I think when I like reflect on it it was it was driven by my brain being a bit too switched on and I think I'd like if I had ever had a baby again to really like disconnect from it a little bit Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah I remember feeling and basically after that my waters had gone like I was like fully dilated or or like I could feel the baby's head basically the whole head <laughs> whereas before wow. whereas before I'd been like oh I'm not sure like what's going on up there it's definitely opening but I can't because mm. I think obviously I imagine the waters were there whereas like then I was like I didn't know whether it was time to push or whether but I, I knew that like they were right there sort of thing so that was amazing as well all that hard work there's a head there it's gonna be okay so encouraging yes yeah um and then I think I had a little bit more of just the laboring in the pool and then yeah this sort of secondary maybe transition um and because I was really calm and breathing through but I was just starting to shout out so I swore a couple of times just like in the pain Mm. and then Mm. I think I said like 
I can't relax and it was really upsetting me that I couldn't relax in between mm. the contractions or during at all and I and then I felt like it was making it worse because I was so tense um so um my birth keeper was like did like a relaxation starts from like your head move it down to your shoulders and mm. sort of spoke me through it so I like physically I'm like doing this and then I think a little bit after um sort of after I'd realized her head was right there and um I think I, I said something like I'm really scared mm. <laughs> um but it was the only time that like bar that time at the start like I was like I'm really scared now um and um she just said like it's okay to be scared yeah like I was scared yeah. but you're safe um like you're safe baby's safe mm. like and just really like validated it um and I really like clung on to it like yeah yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. It, I, I feel like I was almost a bit childlike in labor like I needed that like mm. almost being told yeah in a really gentle way but that like mothering sort of um you're you're okay sort of thing well it really makes me think of that phrase I hear a lot of like death of the maiden when you're giving birth and it yeah. is like your younger self is kind of falling away and there is a kind of you're kind of dying in a way and you're being yeah. reborn as this amazing powerful mother so there yeah. is this sort of really vulnerable moment that stands to reason really when you're in that intense experience where you do feel a bit like oh help me Just I think tell that's me it's what okay. it was as well because yeah. like, on reflection I, I wasn't scared of I don't think I was scared of giving birth I think I had as in like pushing her out I think I had a little bit of anxiety in the back of my mind about like, what if she is macrosomic and mm. what if she gets stuck yeah um, sure because obviously that was always the thing with the gestational diabetes and even though I was in I guess very sure in on like one hand that everything was fine because of my normal blood sugar she didn't feel big um but obviously this that story like yeah. still working through so I think I was really scared for that like her actually being born because I was like this is the part to me where something could happen but I think also I was just scared because I was like oh like this is it like this is the the moment but then yeah I sort of came back down and relaxed again um and I think I did have a level of fear when I was pushing her out that I would hope again like if I ever had another baby I wouldn't have that fear in the same way um because I had this like well I've never done it before like everything's working but then I had this fear about if she didn't come out and stuff um but obviously I wasn't that scared because I still did it <laughs> like so it's, it's like a managed amount of fear um but yeah but I also pushed her out really fast and I think that was partly down to being scared that she wouldn't come mm. so I was like let's just get it done sort of thing um mm. and also I was so excited <laughs> by that point to meet her so it was just all of these emotions um so yeah I started to have like an just such, such a clear urge that I needed to push while well, my body was pushing mm. um it, yeah my my body was pushing but I found that to be really powerful intense and painful so and the way that I could combat that was like pushing with it mm-hmm. so yeah. I was still pushing yeah. with like the outbreak like still breathing I wasn't like holding yeah. push necessarily but it felt good to push with it rather mm-hmm. than just let it happen to me um so yeah, I said like, oh, I'm pushing now. And um, Jim, James, my partner, had always been like, oh, like, does he want to get in the pool? Does he not? And I was like, well, if you want to, now's your chance. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, <laughs> man upstairs to get his trunks <laughs> and jumped in the pool, <laughs> uh, which I'm glad about because of the position I gave birth. He he um caught caught her um, because she, I was like on all fours. Mm. So like yeah, so yeah, he he got in. 
and then I was pushing um, and I kept feeling and I was like I can feel her head I can feel like, well I can feel their head or apparently I said her as well which is interesting Ooh, yeah, you do. Um, yeah um, and then I heard Jim whisper to um, my birth keeper should we call the midwife oh. <laughs> um, and like I wasn't I, I just yeah. hadn't, it just hadn't crossed my mind yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. and I think she said like I don't think so like no. yeah. yeah like to, to like reassure him yes yes because um, yeah. he, he he wasn't asking out of like I think he just didn't maybe realize where the stage was and we haven't officially said we weren't going to but yeah. we have said that if things just happen then we wouldn't so I think he was just like getting the feel of the room yes yes, yes, <laughs> um, yes, yes. a little bit and then yeah it was sweet because I heard him I sort of smiled to myself <laughs> <laughs> um, as he like whispered to get like yeah it was very sweet um I think he just realized that his child was about to be born and was yes. like <laughs> yeah it's getting real yeah yeah um, and then yeah I just um I pushed very quickly and hard and obviously there was no coaching or anything but for me I was just like get this done I'm so excited I've waited so long for mm. this and um also I was saying her head's there her head's there and they were saying oh we can't, we can't see her head and I was like it's there so <laughs> that made me like really push as well because mm. I was like I'm telling you it's mm. it's there because of my the angle obviously they couldn't see until it was out mm. um yeah I was quite like downwards um and then, yeah, once her head was out, I think I said um, to my birth keeper, I was like, can you see her chin? Can you see her chin? Because I had this worry about the shoulder yes. dystocia. Yeah. Um, and they were like, yes, like I can. And I said to Jim, actually, because he had a better view. I was like, is her chin like free? Um, yeah. yeah. And they said, but then by the time like my question was answered anyway, the next contraction came and, mm. and they were born. Um and she was born. Yeah. And then like um, James caught her. Um, and sort of pulled her up, semi waterboarded her a little bit. I, don't think he, I think he wanted to like pass her like under the water to me, oh, but he yes. wasn't committed. So the yeah. poor baby was like, oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. get her out, get her out. Yeah. <laughs> poor thing. <laughs> what, a, what an entry. Um, I think because the cord was quite short, I was um, like, my birth keeper was saying, bring lift her up, but I was saying, um, the cord's short, the cord's short. Mm-hmm. So I think like he was a bit like, <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. Um, yeah so I like flipped over the cord and um and it passed her to me and we and I immediately clocked that she was a girl and was just thrilled um and we've got a really sweet video of that moment so not when she was born but the seconds after where he passes her to me and I'm like hello my darling and I say oh you see what we've got and he goes a girl and starts crying (laughs) just magic um yeah it was so so lovely and then um they helped me get my top off so that she could be against me obviously she was on my skin so she could be like fully against my skin um yeah it was just amazing oh Oh, my goodness oh so So beautiful beautiful. yeah oh it's giving me all the feels that's so lovely do you know I really love it I know it's personal choice whatever but I love it when people don't find out what they're gonna have and there's that moment because I think I've seen I've seen people talk about it a bit online before but I really think there may be something we lose if we know the gender of our baby because it's there's this burst isn't there of finding out of like is it a boy is it a girl and then you know there's just this extra perhaps feeling yeah yeah um, like I think the bonding in pregnancy or I experienced it is different obviously I bonded with her in terms of like I cared about 
I cared about the baby and I wanted to have the baby but I didn't have that like that like long term like what my child would look like and I hadn't like created this image mm. in my head so then I had all of that yeah. when I met her and yeah. it was yeah it was amazing it literally felt like an immediate shift mm. um, and at the very end it's very cheesy but at the very end of my pregnancy when I was struggling one day with um being like overdue and waiting for her and a bit of anxiety I played the song from Mamma Mia that's like <laughs> I've been waiting for you about like being a good stuff through yeah. like headphones to her and then um that song was playing when she was born oh no way yeah, no. Like, oh, can you hear the song can you hear the song Easy. like to everyone yeah oh. um, I was like what are the odds that like that's oh. Exactly, it's literally like I'll try to be a good mum. I swear, or like the yes. words, and how I've been waiting oh. for you. I was like, wow. <laughs> yes, it was. It was just amazing. Like that mm. that moment, um, just being together and everyone was sobbing. It was yeah, well, sobbing's a bit dramatic. But everyone was crying. Oh, yeah. um, and then there was no blood in the pool, which I like, no blood at all. Which I was like, okay, that's interesting. Um, and then um, the pool had gotten quite cold um just as it does if no one's sort of really keeping an eye on it it wasn't like too cold but I wanted to get out quite quickly I didn't feel like happy to stay in there wait for the placenta because mm-hmm. I was yeah I was like this will be cold for her in no time mm-hmm. and I didn't want yeah. to have to go down the route of like warming her up with hats and stuff so I was like let's just um yeah, yeah I got out of the pool um had her on me and then had a bit of a separation like had a bit of a bleed then um but I wasn't sure if it had stopped or not um and sort of stood up to see if that like if the placenta came or whatever and when I stood up there was a bit of like a bigger gush of blood which was a little bit scary at the time because I think because there hadn't been any blood loss it felt a little bit yeah yeah I was was a bit like oh like what like how much is that like is Mm -hmm. it too much and that was like one of the only times that I was like oh like oh what's happening but um it stopped like immediately and it was just that I hadn't lost any blood at the birth it was just like all of it came at once sort of thing um and it wasn't wasn't that much in the end sort of mopped it up um and then my placenta came I think shortly after that and then there wasn't any like heavy further bleeding after Mm -hmm. that so Mm -hmm. I was really like settled after that it was just that shock of when I like stood up and had a bit of a yeah like it's just a different occurrence isn't it yeah, just think, yeah. Oh, okay what does that mean yeah, yeah exactly but it was but I think it was just the stuff that hadn't come out when yeah. she was born um yeah. obviously normally happens and then yeah like had had the placenta um obviously a cord was still attached and stuff I think maybe I, I don't know timings but after the placenta was out and the cord was white um we tied it and cut it with some sterile scissors um and she she didn't really want to feed like I had her at the breast but she didn't really latch she kept like giving it a little lick and a little but I was yeah I was I was a bit conscious of it all again with like the diabetes and early feeding but I had expressed some colostrum in pregnancy that's something I had decided to do with my like whole story so I was quite relaxed about it I was like well I can always give her a little bit of that if we need to um and yeah she was against me and then yeah, it was just like a few hours of magic. She was born at 12.50. Mm. Um, so it's quite, I think it's quite quick. <laughs> it was only a couple yeah. of hours after I got into the pool as well that she was born. So we had just a few hours of um, enjoying her. She was I, I like conscious of how much detail I want to go into because it's her story. Yeah, sure. um, it's something mm. I um, 
deep like working through at the minute of like how much detail but she was born with a disability okay. um, unexpectedly so the scans didn't pick anything up um I did feel that it would be like I, I, I desperately didn't want to go in and yeah. I considered not going in but I did feel that, like this is where I need to put her first like it was really yeah. hard so it was like your first test of parenthood oh, because I wanted dear. to go into bed order a Chinese takeaway in the evening like yeah. and um, just start on your life together but like as her mum I knew I needed to get her mm. any care she needed um so we but um, it's what it's there for isn't it you know yeah exactly so we still like had this this time of bliss though which is just that's why I'm so for it as well and I also think the best time to find out that something and I, I don't really have the words yet I'm very new to being like a mum of someone with a disability mm-hmm. but I think the first the best time to find out for me that there's something wrong with your child is when you meet them yeah like yeah. I just imagine how different the story had been if I'd known because it. it is something that should be picked up on the 20-week scan and wasn't oh yeah god that's really, such a or it's normally picked up on the 20-week scan but for me I was so thankful that mm. we didn't know um well that's such a powerful thing to share with us thank you and I yeah I agree you know your daughter's story like you say it's, it's her story and whatever you're comfortable with sharing um yeah absolutely yeah, but my, my perception definitely definitely yeah. but I do think it's a wonderful thing to to kind of highlight or even just a conversation to have about considering at what moment or what time finding something out about your baby might affect your your kind of journey of pregnancy with them and then how the birth is kind of handled and treated the people around you how you feel like there's so many factors aren't there of like yeah. it could be influenced and how that could change that experience and like you say really you found out something about your daughter in a, a wonderfully loving um space where you just had a wonderful euphoric experience and together you know and, and what a wonderful way for her to come into the world everything like that and and like you said that almost feels like a wonderful kind of nest like a kind of lovely nourishing space to yeah. then move forward into other you know situations and like you say yeah, yeah it's, it's tough because it's not what you want to do but you know like like Leonie says you know that's what the care or the you know the medical assistance that's what it's for you know for us to go into a situation where you know we might actually need that assistance but yeah, yeah really interesting to kind of point out the difference in finding out you know at birth yeah. or during and how that affects you so yeah, yeah thanks so for, sharing. for me she, like it was that we'd met her she was just like that yeah. that was just her as well yeah. there was this like image that we'd built and so it was just her in front of us so mm. it didn't I think like my partner maybe experienced it a little bit differently but for me mm. it didn't immediately really worry me I was yeah. quite like well say about it I I had an inkling of what it was as well from um, my, my like midwifery experience I didn't want to mm. like share too much I wanted to sort of keep it to myself not to worry anyone so we kind of just ignored it yeah. <laughs> a little bit and had um had our time together and then I also now think with like various um medical care that she's had since like I just think she got such a beautiful loving start to her life yeah that she wouldn't have got if we'd known she like obviously I would have always loved her but I mean the way she came into the world like the last way the way she was immediately in skin to skin at the breast if she wanted it surrounded by like people who love her as opposed to like immediately I imagine she would have been immediately whisked away even Mm -hmm. though I think that you know she didn't need any support in that way but just because that's how the the model sort of works most of the time is oh there's something unusual let's take it and deal with it sort of thing so um it just makes me even more pleased that we did 
things how we did and it also meant that we just got this blissful few hours with mm. her I called the labour ward um and just said hi I've had a baby <laughs> they <were> like, what <laughs> <laughs> so they were they were very confused but mm. really fine on the phone um I say fine because it would have been nice to have like a congratulations or something mm, it's yes. just very like um, right I yes. said can because I still haven't decided and when I say this that obviously I was always going to seek medical help mm-hmm. for her but I think I was still a little bit in my own world and I hadn't like made that like decision of how we were going to go into the hospital yet mm-hmm. So I asked for community midwives to come out mm-hmm. and they said there wasn't any and they couldn't and that we'd have to make our own way into the hospital. And from what I remember, just kind of, I, I imagine it didn't go like this, but from like my memory, it was just kind of like, that was that. Mm-hmm. And then I think we were back to thinking about how we were going to go in or, or something like that, or whether mm-hmm. we were going like, to call an ambulance to go in mm-hmm. or drive in, I think. But again, I was, everyone else was kind of taking care of all of that. And I was just sat with my baby mm. <laughs> and with James we were just sort of all sat cuddling um <laughs> and ignoring it all and then um oh my friend bless her and um this is part of like just being at home like she gave me like a because I, I felt too weak to go upstairs um and get a shower so she sort of washed me um down because of where I stood up mm, bed. so she yeah. sort of washed me down with a flannel and I always remember that as being really like sweet that she oh, it's beautiful cared for me like that and helped me like get into some fresh clothes and stuff um and then yeah and then randomly like some community midwives turned up at the door oh okay um you know, they said they weren't gonna send them right so my friend bless her um went out like shoulders out and she was like do you want them to come in molly yes and then like it was like okay i'll just check with her shut the door on them and like came back to me like is it okay oh brilliant <laughs> yeah so um but yeah they were fine to come in and um they were a little bit bewildered maybe mm. um but like perfectly fine as well um just very like to the point I guess like I would have really liked a little bit more compassion but I also when I reflect I think that um maybe um my daughter being born with her disability was was a bigger thing to other people than it was to me Mm. so where I so I struggle sometimes because I wonder whether it's the free birth that made people act in this sort of um almost cautious way towards me mm-hmm. but actually that's because I completely forget <laughs> that there's anything wrong yeah quote unquote, with with my daughter but actually I'm I think maybe it's because of that that people acted in this way towards me because in their minds had I just got this like uh, like world shattering news mm-hmm. sort of thing which isn't how I experienced it but and mm. obviously they still should have asked me how I was experiencing it yeah. but I wonder if that's why there was this vibe um mm. it was almost this like sympathetic vibe right um, yes I wonder if it was that on reflection um but yeah they were perfectly fine um said they didn't exact because I wanted to be examined for whether I needed stitches um yeah. and they didn't examine me because we were going in um which I appreciated like we had a chat about it and they were like you may as well like wait and have a proper examination mm. with light so that if they didn't say like they did need to double check mm-hmm. then it would only be that one check mm-hmm. instead of them checking and getting in and checking again and I I, I was happy with that because I felt like I was 
already dressed and whatnot yeah. and then yeah. they wanted to send us in in two separate ambulances which I think is just standard practice yes. um, yeah. I've heard yeah. that yeah yeah uh, but I argued <laughs> a lot <laughs> oh, and yeah. we went in one ambulance by the end of it good um, yeah which yeah I didn't realize that that was standard practice um but yeah it was really important to me not to have that separation yeah we had a story yeah, of a, another um I think it was Donna telling her story and she yeah. said two ambulances were called for her and the reason they gave was that yeah one was supposedly for her and then one was for her baby yeah I think it is kind of standard to do that separation which yeah. I know yeah I think if they're if you're transferring obviously because there's something wrong with both of you mm. then I understand that you need that amount of space mm-hmm. like if mm. the mum is having like I mean what are the odds but if the mum is having like a hemorrhage yeah and the baby is having advanced resuscitation. Yeah. Then you can't both sit in an ambulance. And obviously, yeah, I get with that. people working yeah, on it. I get yeah. that. Yeah. But when, like, I was completely stable, yeah. um, I think some of my ulcers were a little bit out, like maybe slightly high pulse, but I wasn't, there was nothing wrong with me. Yeah. And there was nothing wrong with her either. Like, all her observations were fine. Like, yeah. she's fine. So I think that's why they um were okay with it mm-hmm. so she went in her little car seat next to me and the paramedic staff were incredible like um they were just so lovely they were like congratulations like oh, good just so sweet they were like oh look at her like did you know you were having a girl they asked me about names they gave me their opinion on the names <laughs> in like a nice way like oh that's my favorite no that's mine and like that's nice like yeah. we just so like really lovely like just human keeping it, yeah keeping it yeah. right and human yeah. yeah so that was that was really nice it just felt like they really cared and um we were blue lighted in as like an emergency but they were really calm about it they were like might be a bit bumpy and oh, that's nice. um, yeah. just really sweet and really sweet with like um a partner who like followed in the car behind and stuff and made sure that he knew where he was going when they got there and just really just good care um good, good. Good. that was nice so we transferred in um yeah and then it was it was all a bit downhill from there mm. <laughs> but um yeah but the birth was magical so I, I kind of like lean on that and I think yeah um some of it some of it was okay I think it a lot of it when I look back was this like sympathetic vibe that I didn't realize was that at the time yeah. um because mm. I remember it being like the next day or maybe the day after um someone came around to me and they were like oh I understand you had like a traumatic unplanned home birth oh god um, and really? then having a baby that no. with um <sighs> like a disability and I was like oh my god no <laughs> like that's <clears throat> not what happened but obviously they should have got it right but equally I I guess like if that's the history you had from me no wonder they were coming in with such like doe-eyed sympathetic faces Mm, if that's what my story was um I think it's so important to acknowledge the complexities of somebody's experience as well like you know to tarnish an experience as being traumatic yeah perhaps that might be the overall feeling that somebody is left with or the overall feeling of it being positive but like you shared in your stories there were elements that you felt really scared and there was elements that you were finding really challenging and there are elements that were amazing it's you know these ups and downs that form part of the whole picture and if we just go oh that was really hard for you you know we're not acknowledging any of the intricacies of that which is is a real shame um, but then, you know, where do we have the time to really sit down with somebody and go, tell me in detail, I want to hear about it, mm. please share your story. So, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I get it as well. 
Um, but yeah, so we were we were in the hospital. Um, I had an examination and discovered that I had a third degree tear. Oh um, <laughs> so that was I was really upset about it actually at the time. Um, but and and that was actually where some. I was really happy with some of the care and I think sometimes on reflection I'm a little bit judgy about it I'm like oh I don't Mm. I don't like how they spoke to me but at the time I didn't feel like that at the time I felt like we really had this rapport so I think a lot of that's my stuff if that makes sense Mm. um because they were really sweet um I was immediately like worried about long-term impact and because I'd seen some some third degree and fourth degree tears that had been really hard on the women mm-hmm. um and I was immediately like, oh no like that's the one thing and I had this like five page birth plan because I wasn't intending necessarily to have a free birth mm-hmm. um but all over this birth plan it's like basically in detail it um but it basically says like don't touch me leave me alone <laughs> don't do this don't yeah do that, like all over it and then there was only this one section that was like in the case of severe perineal trauma I I would opt for repair and theatre by a senior obstetrician, <laughs> like or gynecologist, and that's the only thing like on my birth plan that I was like, yeah, I'd go for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it was really like ironic that then that happened to me, wasn't it? Um, mm. But yeah, I'd had all of this. I'd I'd been in skin to skin with um, my daughter the whole time, bar the ambulance journey. Mm-hmm. Um, as soon as we got there, I ripped her off again, and she was straight on me for when I was being examined and everything. And then, mm. um, in hindsight, I wish I had asked if I could take her into theatre with me, mm. um, but but I didn't. Um, it, it didn't really occur to me. But I, I remember like locking eyes with doing my partner and being like, "Have her in skin to skin whilst I'm in theatre. Mm. Don't let them do anything." Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just really didn't want that experience of when you come back out and something's been done, like yes. the UK, or yeah. even if you've consented to those things in general, mm-hmm. um, like them being done without mum present. Yeah, you want to um, be there. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's a part of it. Yeah, it's something they regularly do because of the time limits and stuff. Mm. They'll whilst mum's in theatre weigh the baby and stuff. But I, right. yeah, I don't. I don't like that so I was like keep her in skin to skin she needs this time with you mm-hmm. so while she's in a new environment she needs all of your microbes and stuff yeah. um, and then yeah and they and the theatre staff were were really nice and stuff because I was really I was really upset and really like shook up um mm. but yeah everyone other than this like sort of sympathetic vibe and like um yeah a bit of a lack of communication there mm-hmm. um everything in that first day was like that first evening was um fine um it was interesting as well that there'd been 12 hours between or almost 12 hours between delivery and suturing mm. uh, which they really advise against the like guidance is to have any sutures completed within an hour after mm. birth so that often really disrupts the golden hour in a hospital birth um mm. so now I'm really interested as well into why that is because we've always said it's because of swelling because mm-hmm. obviously if you don't suture it right away then the body starts to repair mm-hmm. so swelling happens which then when you go to suture makes it harder to see what's happening yeah. and harder to suture effectively so all of that makes sense mm-hmm. um but I don't understand why that wasn't the case for me so I'd really like to I wonder if mm-hmm. like the information maybe reaches a peak and then it's interesting again. isn't it like you say yeah so there was no issue no one talked to you about an issue about there being a time no because no. that's what I because that's one of the things I kept saying I was like is it too swollen to put back together almost like yeah. is, it, is it too late because that was something I was concerned about and they were like no like there's no there's no swelling really like obviously there's always a little bit of swelling after you have a baby because all the blood's been there mm. but there's no mm. nothing like yeah so 
I'm really interested by. Or it makes me wonder, it just makes me wonder about all the other factors that maybe typically happen in a birth that's, that's you know, typically in a hospital, because obviously that's the majority, yeah. and maybe the, the how that might impact and maybe even contribute to a swelling that you didn't experience, possibly. Yeah. Maybe there's something in that. Yeah. yeah, but it's interesting, like you say. Yeah, really, that made me wonder. Um, and then, yeah, we, we then had some some not so, not so good care. Um, that first night was really hard and I think it always would have been because I didn't have like the feeling in my legs from the spinal um, right yeah obviously we've been through this whirlwind we didn't know what was wrong with our daughter and that had kind of hit us now yeah. um whereas those first few hours we were just in this bubble um, whereas the bubble kind of popped we were exhausted um oh, there was nowhere for James to sleep but I didn't want him to leave he didn't want to leave until my legs <laughs> it was just really yeah. hard and then um yeah we had some not so good care regarding my daughter um like being told what condition they thought she had in an open bay with other people wow really yeah um and no and no answer to any questions so when we were asking like what's the impact of this like what does it mean for her will she need surgery what's the long term like couldn't answer a single question because they'd sent in quite a junior doctor to tell us the news instead of a consultant um, mm. I, think, I think it was a weekend maybe like mm. but yeah it was just awful um and then I basically said well we're gonna go home then because she's well she's only ha- she was having like 12 hourly odds just because she was there yeah like but not because she they were worried sort of thing yeah. um so I yeah. said oh, that's it. we're gonna self-discharge them because we're not getting any information mm. I can't I, I was really struggling to feed her because mm-hmm. I was so stressed yeah in that so environment yeah and so like just uncomfortable I was really struggling mm. um luckily I had the colostrum so I was giving her bits of that as well mm. and I was like I just need to be at home in skin to skin in bed with her like she's well now we know that she's like we've that she's not going to have anything done to her immediately yeah. so let's just go home yeah. and um obviously they didn't want me to and then everything changed the tune and we got a side room um that I had like a very straight talking midwife which I appreciated at that point because she just came in and she was like Molly if I got you a side room and a bed for James would you stay the night and talk to the consultant tomorrow mm. <laughs> and yeah. I was like yeah, yeah. I would. <laughs> oh yeah so at least you, it's you know it's just what you need sometimes yeah I was like just, yeah. just like know where you stand yeah exactly she was like she was like you can go home but then you're gonna have to wait for an outpatient appointment she was like I know that it's silly that you can't just come back here mm. and see the doctor here but you would have to wait for an outpatient so if you want the answers you need to wait till the morning when mm-hmm. he's in um so like if we do all of this and I was like yes thank you for listening to like Mm -hmm. what I'm asking for so then we had a side room and that was obviously a lot better and Jim had one of those proper like reclining chair beds so Mm -hmm. I used to sleep a little bit and then they said that the consultant would be there like first thing and he did like as soon as he'd done like the thing they like the round they have to do when they get in he came straight to us and again it, it wasn't very good like he didn't have the information he needed um the problem is the hospital we were at don't have the department that we needed and we've had issues with her medical care since it's it's all been very it's not been great um that was sort of the start of that but the point is we got a little bit of information and we got to go home and then it was then it was bliss after that we yeah yeah all of our skin to skin and yeah we got home but the hospital part was really not pleasant (laughs) it sounds almost like you know you've had this experience um and the care 
you know, you said that your daughter was really well in herself and you've kind of had all the, I don't want to say normal stuff, but like, you know, this amazing birth and skin to skin, all of those things which are universal, you know, babies need skin to skin, Mm -hmm. they need, and you as parents, as people need information. Mm -hmm. And then there's the care regarding her disability. It seems to be like a real mismatch in like the kinds of care that you've and experiences like I don't want to put words onto you but it that's what it sounds like you've kind of had this like a I don't know before and after or like you know you were able to go home and have that amazing time continued with her and then the care concerning her disability her condition has been just not good yeah um just like no holistic view of of our care that's one of the things about me um now being an independent midwife like I want to be able to be there for all of that whether it's from like preconception Mm -hmm. right through to as long as they they need you like my Mm. our our, like practices I think the first I can't remember whether it's 28 or 42 days now but like as in like midwifery practice midwifery things but like to be able to like be like a person for the family who is like one contact and keeps all of this like mm-hmm. all of these parts that are separate mm-hmm. somehow integrated because that's what it's missing and yeah. I don't know how they how they would necessarily fix that but it's just so um what's the word like fragmented yeah I, I keep I keep thinking that I keep coming back to like you know when once you are home and everything and things could settle a bit like when did it really properly hit you that you had had a free birth like for you and your partner like was there a kind of moment where you both sort of looked at each other and gone holy shit we did that then like you know that happened I did it because yeah. it wasn't really like you say it wasn't a full decision of like right yeah I'm gonna do this yeah well I think um one sometimes I toy with like whether it's a free birth or not because mm is a free birth an unattended birth or is yeah. it a free birth from outside of the system so I do think like outside of the system within our culture is, is a free birth like for me but I also would describe it as a home birth yeah yeah depending on who I'm talking to and how much I want to go into it yeah. <laughs> yes like, yeah. one of the questions on your guys like oh what might you cover you have a question that's like what was normal and boring about your birth oh yeah yeah do you want to tell us what felt well considering so you are on the normal boring free birth podcast do you want to tell us what felt normal and boring (laughs) I would say that is like no we don't really like I'm 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 never neither of us are ever really like oh we did that like look at what we did because Mm. it it, it didn't feel like not it didn't feel like there was a choice because we were trapped but it didn't feel like there was a choice being made it just happened because it was just happening and I think mm. I just trusted that if it wasn't, my body would do something. And it's not, for me, it's not that I think it would birth 100% goes the way you would want it to go all the time. Mm. I think because I'd had the, with the gestational diabetes, because my body had told me there was something wrong. Yeah. It gave me this, like, that if there was something wrong in labour, my body would tell me. It would yeah. feel, something would feel different. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I think when we think about it, we just kind of don't, don't consider it because it just that's just how it happened we consider it in terms of how lovely it was Mm -hmm. and but like the actual it seems like a big thing doesn't it to Mm. a lot of people like oh my gosh you didn't have the midwives um but we were just kind of well there didn't seem a point that it felt necessary that may be a fleeting moment for James when he when he mentioned it um (laughs) but yeah like it, it, it was just normal and I don't really 
yeah, I don't really think about it too much. But I guess my like only thing that I ever think about is if I was to have another, I'm like, oh, I have to prepare in case I have a tear again. Mm, <laughs> because yeah. like that's the only, I guess that's the only thing. But then even then, like I think that comes into this normal boring birth and I don't have the research on this and I couldn't advise women about how it goes. But my experience of having um severe perineal trauma and I had a three C tear as well so it was nearly they categorized it, it was nearly a fourth degree tear okay it was mm. it was very deep um but my experience has been fine like yeah. completely mm. fine oh good um, yeah great. and I wonder how much that was linked to my normal boring birth as well mm. yeah even though I had a very deep tear it was also like a very boring tear yeah <laughs> like, the way it was handled like, how you felt and yeah the whole yeah the whole because it, it was very very deep and I I'm glad that I made the choice to have um have sutures because there's nothing really about women who who choose not to and I do I, I feel there's there's risks um mm-hmm. to not but like obviously there was some pain afterwards um which I think most women have some pain if they've had sutures mm-hmm. but it wasn't it wasn't I was taking some pain relief but I couldn't imagine it being any less painful mm. if I had any other kind of tear if that makes sense it was just a bit tender because I just had a baby sort of thing and I took some pain relief for a week or so and then I I kept my life really clean and really took care of myself really rested um but like I would for any birth like I'd advise to anyone like I didn't move from like the sofa for properly for the first like 10 days maybe and then I was taking it really really slow um and yeah like I've not had any symptoms I feel really well like I feel completely fine um yeah like no no like urinary symptoms or anything like that which it all, all that. so that also plays into it as well I'm like mm. I just had a baby and like even when I did need a bit of the intervention or I wanted a bit of that intervention mm. because everything was so normal yeah it just carried on like that yeah that's it yeah I think it's just that foundation of that birth I think that anything that happened after that point was just on such a good sort of solid footing of that experience you had and I think that does play into everything else that happens I think with our babies our bodies like how we feel like it that's the kind of ground we're on so I think everything else has got a kind of better chance of going smoothly feeling better yeah goodness we've covered so many topics in your story it's been amazing so good and how how old your daughter now then remind me uh, eight months. Eight months. Oh, yeah. I kind of got the feeling that, yeah, I feel like this is not that long ago. You tell it so beautifully. No. There's so much detail and really felt like I was there. And yeah, such a beautiful story. But I've never actually told it to anyone. Oh, so have you not? Oh, not in this, like detail. Yeah, I've never yeah. given it. Oh, I love that though. Thank yeah. you so much for sharing with us. I feel really honoured. Definitely, oh. me too. Yeah, I I want more women to well, obviously getting on here, but just to be able to vocalise their story in such depth and detail. Anyway, I think it's so important. I think it really gives us something too, and and for other people to hear it as well. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on here and sharing your story with us. It's been so so beautiful to listen to it, and all of the um yeah the information stuff, all the kind of yeah perspectives and things like that. It's been really great to share as well. Thank you, yeah. thank you, thank you, thank you. I just feel like we've had a real, you know, good lesson yeah. learning so much from You're you. <laughs> really yeah. broad. Yeah, I feel like that is a huge thing actually. Is um, obviously, I do have to separate my professional um and my personal, and I do, and I do um, but also like this experience has taught me so much mm. for my midwifery practice as well. Um, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. Is there anything you want to share with people listening in terms of, you know, can they work with you moving forward? I don't know if you're doing that yet because your little one is still little or yeah, is there anything so I, you want to share? Yeah, so I am um, ready to take clients, um, if you like. So um, my website's uh, mollymaymidwife.com um, and on Instagram I'm mollymidwife, molly with an IE. <laughs> yeah I yeah I feel yeah. like a lot of people will want to connect with you and um and yeah, yeah and, and look at but yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm ready to take clients because obviously my little one's um still little but if I'm thinking like oh women when they're booking by the time they're due it'll be oh yes of course that's very yeah, cool. yeah, yeah. So, so yeah I'd be ready for me to um go out to them because my daughter will be that little bit older um, so yeah I'm ready to, to sort of get started it's really exciting that's why I can't wait to oh amazing yeah well we'll share that on our show notes and we'll share that with everyone thanks so much for joining us Molly it's been lovely to to meet you and to hear your story yeah thank you thanks for having me thank you so much And if you're interested in free birth and you're looking for support, don't forget Leonie and I offer one-to-one services. So head over to our profiles, that's at free to birth for myself, Victoria, or at birthwise.withleonie for Leonie. Don't be afraid to reach out. There is no such thing as a silly question and we love to hear from you. If you have enjoyed listening to these stories, we'd love to hear from you. Take a screenshot, share your thoughts. We'd love to hear how you found these amazing stories. You can tag us, tag our Instagram accounts, share with your friends, get in touch. We'd love to hear from you.